We have got a whole lot of comics to discuss today. Perhaps this episode might even be giant size. <laughs> Wait, so we're we're bigger? We're bigger? We're bigger now? I mean, we're bigger because this is our 50th episode. What? Surprise! 50th episode? Kicking off season three? Number 50. I put a lot of timing thought into this. You put a lot of timing thought into everything that we do, and I appreciate that more than you'll ever know. Yay. You make us look like we know what's going on because you know what's going on. And now hopefully you all know. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. (laughs) (laughs) And today, folks, we are talking about volumes one through six, all the way through of the Dawn of X, because guess what? I read them all. She has read all 36 issues of the opening arcs of Dawn of X, which I believe at the beginning was only intended to be. So Dawn of X was kind of like a moniker for these opening six issues. Mm, interesting. But everybody just kept on calling it Dawn of X and... The X line was like, yeah, we're going with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep it going. It's all Dawn of X until all... Ten of Swords. Craziness. Well, I'm pretty excited to talk about this. So I do want to do a couple of things before we get in. Okay. I wanted to, so our 50th episode, right? Yeah. That's pretty big. That is big. I wanted to thank everybody for listening. Oh my gosh, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Not only, so I've been looking at the numbers. I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> you know, I'm a- Math and math, stuff. Math and stats. Big, big on that. We're big in the US, obviously. We're US based. We know people in the US. Word of mouth. We've had uh, a number of guests and we've guested on episodes. Mm-hmm. It spreads, right? We have listeners in almost every one of the U.S. states, which is crazy to think about, right? That's amazing. There are people. Wow. Okay. Sorry. I cut you off. Go. There are people that we don't know all around the country listening to us nerd out about comics. That's so cool. So cool. Thank you. That's so cool. Thank you so much. But also, if you know anybody in Mississippi, Idaho, Montana, (laughs) or North Dakota, let them know. Let wait, them know. Wait, so we don't have listeners we there? We don't have listeners there. Come and I mean, on. you know, some of the some of the states, uh, they have, you know, we have three downloads in Alaska. All right, Alaska. Get one, it. One download in Hawaii. Counts. Counts, yeah. 190 in Florida. Oh, my gosh. We're this huge is... in California, 614. I mean, there's a bunch of people in California, so. Yeah, there, there are a bunch of people. In California, California is actually recently surpassed Rhode Island as the state with the most downloads. We're in Rhode Island. Right, we're based in Rhode Island. So obviously when all of our friends and family members who don't even care about the X-Men <laughs> download our episodes, they add to that count. I don't know how many of our friends and family who don't actually listen, like I'm pretty sure they maybe in the beginning were, were downloading some, but I don't know that they've stuck around. I think y'all are genuine. I mean, let us know. Genuine fans. Yeah, if you're friends and family... Well, if you're friends and family and you download them just to download them and you don't listen, I guess you'll never hear this. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they're subscribed and it automatically downloads. Yeah, I don't know, but that's amazing. I can't believe we're at 50 episodes. And I can't believe like this community is continuously growing and you guys like what we're doing. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So much fun. And, you know, not to not to just talk about the US because we're worldwide. We're worldwide. We baby. have Listeners in Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, France, the Philippines, Brazil, Spain, Ireland, Mexico, South Africa, Germany, the Netherlands, Sweden. Oh my goodness. The Czech Republic, Portugal, Singapore. Like, wow. 
in that order in terms of number of downloads. <laughs> in case you were wondering. In case you were wondering. Oh Pushes up glasses. Gracious. Yeah, that's honestly mind blowing. My mind is still blown that people like listening to us. You know, and and I do mean it. If you if you have a friend that you think might enjoy this, or you want to show, share this with a friend, or an enemy, or <laughs> anyone, someone to spark debate with, because the reviews definitely help. We've had a number of great reviews over the course of these fifty episodes, but yes. word of mouth helps too, especially when you know somebody. Yeah, please continue to share, continue to enjoy. Thank you so much for being great supporters, great friends, a great community. We feel lucky every single time we sit down to record, honestly. Honestly. Now, I want to take us back a little bit. Ooh. Right? House of X number one. Yes. Where this all started. Yes. Released on July 24th, 2019. 2019. The before times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The before times. Powers of 10 number six. The end of that opening arc. October 9th, 2019. So every week. For 12 weeks, one issue of that story came out, which mm-hmm. I think was kind of genius. You know, that was, it built a rhythm with me going to the store every Wednesday. I was pretty adamant at the beginning. This was really my first time back into collecting new comics week to week. Mm-hmm. I was pretty adamant that I was only going to go every couple of weeks that, you know, I'd, I'd pick up. So after the first week, I was like, no, I need to I need to know what happens next because I was hooked. <laughs> Yeah. I was hooked. Understandably so. Every Wednesday, I am what they refer to in the comics counting game as a Wednesday warrior. <laughs> That's people, accurate. The That's... people that show up right when the books are up, I head over to Rock Coco's and I get my new books. Gotta get them. Gotta get them. Gotta, Gotta read them. All. And so the next week, the very next week. The very next week. X-Men number one on October 16th, 2019. 2019. Released. And that was Woo-hoo. the first of this Opening saga. Dawn of X arc. Yes, this intrepid saga. <laughs> I have feelings. X-Men number six, which was the last of the first six issues of these first six stories, released on February 12th, 2020. Right at the end of the before right time. <laughs> right when, when they became the times. The times that we're in. Just as the times are changing. Hey, the times are changing again, and we're really excited. We're really happy. Yes. We hope you all still being safe and, and enjoying that. But but interestingly, in that timeline, Marauders number seven and X Men Fantastic Four number one both released the week before X Men number six. Oof, Marauders so number seven. I gotta get my hands on that. <laughs> we'll talk about that because yeah, <laughs> I have so many things to I, say. I this, went to go get I breakfast like... this morning, and I knew she was reading it. And it, volume six starts with Marauders, and I was like, oh man, I really want to be here when she reacts to reading. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. I just feel like preface this by saying like buckle up, get cozy, go on a long car ride. I feel like this episode might be a little bit longer. Listen to it in chunks. It's giant size. I said that at the beginning. It's giant size. We're going to. So I do. That's a perfect segue. Oh, to talk about (laughs) the format, the format, not only of how you read them. Yes. But how we'll talk about them. So which are different. Right. Because you read them as the Dawn of X volumes. Yes. So the Dawn of X volumes reprint. I'm like stroking my books right now. I as see you talk about that. You're smiling so wide. It's hilarious. Good thing I they're slippery them. covers. I love them. You'd be ripping the pages on our actual issue. <laughs> okay. Talk to me while I hug my books. Dawn of X volume one reprints all the issue ones of the stories. Mm-hmm. 
volume two, all the number twos, volume three, all the number threes, and basically follows in the order that they released at least for those volumes, right? Except so, for there's one that's a little fishy. Well, that is, so it is, I, I know which one you're talking about, but it is in their release order. Huh. And I did look that up when we talked about that. Hmm. Interesting. But it's kind of, it's, it's simulating the experience that I went through when I was getting them week to week mm -hmm. at the comic shop. When I reread them, mm -hmm. which I reread everything. I've, yes, of I've course. I've read all of these obviously. issues a handful of times, and that's worthwhile in case. Obviously. Obviously, Potter. Potter. <laughs> when I reread them, I read them by series. Mm. I don't read them in the Dawn of X volume order. I read a run of a specific title because I feel like that really lets you dive into that story, really mm -hmm. gets you in on what's going on, what's building, who these characters are, how they're playing off each other and where the story is going. And that's how we're going to talk about them. That is exactly how we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about them by title. Now, I have a couple of overarching questions and then okay. we can get into yeah, each title. Yeah, like questions for me? Yep. Ooh. Questions, questions for you, but questions just... Questions for conversation, for conversation yeah. starting. Yeah. Okay. Hit me. So the Wait, first one. Yeah. Since we're never going to actually go through a book the way it is, I feel as though I would just like to kick off our conversation with a ceremonial page turn noise. Okay, great. So here we go. Dawn of X. That had a hand flourish and everything, <laughs> folks. That was, that was beautiful. Oh, well, I mean, my first question, did you enjoy this yes. format? You enjoyed this format. I didn't answer before I let you finish the <laughs> yes, question. Yes, you did. Yeah, I did. I did because I liked getting a little taste of every story because I think this way, the stories that I was not as into, I didn't have to push through them six issues of just that story. You know, like if I had gotten Excalibur, I grew to like Excalibur as we continued. Yep. But if I had gotten Excalibur, just as all this, all six Excaliburs, I might have like really struggled with reading it. Right. You know, and, and that's interesting and it's good to know this, I believe, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the first time they've ever printed volumes like this. Normally, and they, they do still print, so they still print an X-Men volume one that is one through six of X-Men mm -hmm. in tandem with the Dawn of X volumes. I am like really... I, don't get me wrong. I love, obviously, the individual comics are nice, but I'm like a really big fan of these trade paperbacks. Yeah. I just really like them. Oh, like the design or just? Both the design, the, the collection, the collection of, story. of the story. It feels like. It's like you're getting six different episodes of different stories, right? Yeah. And just like in general, a collection of, of a story arc of comics, like the ones we've been reading for book club, you know, like that i like i like it because it feels like a book right right like a full book um but also books are better no i never said that okay <laughs> she Do did not, no we were i, on didn't. No, I, didn't, I did. didn't say books were better i just said i read real books which was a mistake yeah everybody threw their hands that was up. a mistake i apologize listen to that episode. It's good. Uh, yeah but yeah listen to legion on zoom like the one with us and also their other stuff just because they're awesome but crackers i lost my train of thought i like these books oh because i also like to look at like the variant covers and the other mm -hmm. stuff that they give you in the back of them so you like that you, you liked the this format that's interesting and and it's cool especially because we set out to read all of it i mean mm -hmm. when i start i spoiler alert i've been reading everything that's come out yeah and i actually got into an interesting conversation with chris at rock Oko's talking about 
you know, how do I store these? Because they're not in a traditional sense because mm -hmm. they do have, you know, normally if you'll look at my other collections, they're organized by Which soon title. we will be doing a little sneak peek at on our Patreon. Something like that. Yeah. So just a heads up about that. So I'll have, like, I have a collection of Uncanny X-Men from the one that started in 1963 and continued up until whenever it ended, volume one of Uncanny X-Men. Mm -hmm. I have a collection of X-Men, the one that started in 1991 and continued on until when it technically became new X-Men and then changed again later on. This, I've just been collecting as Hickman's era, you know, mm -hmm. like the house of x or the Cohen era i don't know how you refer to it all i don't want to just give it all to hickman because it is you know he laid the foundation right, but a but lot of other so people are so many writers are and, artists yeah and yeah. editorial and just building this giant tapestry of a world mm -hmm. that other people are allowed to play in and i feel like that's really an interesting point that he opens up through house of x and powers of 10 a bunch of different ideas a bunch of different open-ended things and a world to play in and then now has collaborated with other people to really build that out further. So currently, I have them stored in release order. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I almost lost my train of thought, but I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, I mean, so when we get to the first crossover, mm -hmm. Ten of Swords, and it allows you so that you can read that as a full event. I know it's funny that you're saying that because I'm thinking like, you know, okay, we're married. We live together. What's mine is yours, dot, dot, dot. But in my brain, I'm like, yeah, but don't I get trade paperbacks of all of the, like, you can have the comics as their individuals, but like, can I buy trade paperbacks of all of the stories as they come out so I can have them as my copies? You want the other, like, you want the trades of the, the other volumes? Yes. Really? <laughs> I, you don't understand. I like them to be like mine. I mean, I do like the look of them. Yeah, and, and then that, these that could be a... out on display differently than how your comics are stored because the way your comics are stored, we don't get to see them as much. Mm -hmm. We did talk about potentially you reading through a bunch more than we actually ended up getting to to somehow catch up to the... I'm going to figure it out. I don't know, Hellfire like I'll just Gala. not sleep or something. Because the Hellfire Gala starts this Wednesday. This is coming oh, out on Monday. Sugar, the first sugar, sugar. three issues of the Hellfire Gala come out on Wednesday. And that is technically the second event, not really event in the traditional sense of comic books where it's telling one continuous story across different titles. It's more an event happening in world and different teams and titles reacting to it. I think it would be... Different if I tried to read them all just to catch myself up versus reading them to also take notes to be able to talk about them. For sure. You know? So maybe I'll try to just read a bunch to, and then that way when we're reading and talking about Hellfire Gala, I won't be completely lost or I'll have a little bit more ownership stakes. Mm -hmm. but, also, but also at the same time, I don't mind giving you some of that Right. Mm -hmm. Information because I feel like there are people that, and I've talked to people that they're jumping back in because they're interested in the Hellfire Gala or yeah. they're interested so we'll in be that new number one. Their bridge. Yes. Okay. What's your next question? What's working for you? Like, what's working for you in, I know you, you're talking about how these volumes are really working. What's working for you in terms of story, in terms of new, new stories? I get a little less interested 
when we're talking so much about past stories or because I feel like I don't really know what's going on and mm-hmm. it's harder for me. Like now that you and I have gone through things and I see, you know, as we read, I, I see the connections to seminal moments or, you know, I I had some things to say about fallen angels and I, I feel like part of why I felt that way was because I just got a Psylocke recap, mm-hmm. you know, so I definitely think, you know, the ex education that you've given me has helped me to understand some of the past things, but it's, it's kind of like what we were talking about when we talked about the, the new X-Men team when we were on house of X and we talked with them about the new X-Men team. Mm-hmm. And I said, these are my X-Men, yep. right? Like, this is my entry into the comics. So I like hearing the past stories. But in these stories, when it's new and fresh and it's feeling like things are happening within this world mm-hmm. that is created, I feel better about it. I feel more excited. I want to know what's happening. I feel like I'm part of the conversation. Whereas... You know, when there's references to things that I don't know anything about, then that feels like it doesn't work as much. And I will say that I felt that way kind of in the beginning of a few of these titles. But as they've progressed, I do feel more like they just are now their own stories and and continuing in the world that has been created. Yeah. And, and what you're talking about really is something that a lot of comics and a lot of comics writers really do work with is reinvestment in that continuity, Mm -hmm. but also creation out of it, right? So even when we're talking about the seminal moments, Age of Apocalypse, that was a reinvestment in the the continuity, but an entirely different take. Still Mm -hmm. similarities between the characters, how you might twist this one thing, this other thing. New X-Men, exactly similar with you're reinvesting in this bigger idea, but you're introducing something new cassandra nova oh my god and i feel like <sighs> cassandra nova <laughs> i have something to say about her too in this conversation great well we'll get there the i would agree that i do really enjoy the new stuff i also feel like a lot of the legacy fans the people that have been reading for a mm-hmm. number of years they love those connection points and when you're playing off those oh points, yeah and I, if you everyone can, loves an easter egg if you can balance between those two and tell me a new story that's great. Mm-hmm. I would agree. What's not working? What's not working? Uh, when the sometimes the data pages. Yeah. Like I like the data pages, but sometimes they're so wordy, and especially when it's okay. So one thing I had I had thought about Fallen Angels, right? Was that Fallen Angels felt more like a picture book than any of the other stories. There was a lot less dialogue and a lot of the action and storytelling lot, was done with well, the images. Yeah, a lot less data pages too. I right. And so when there's a data page in that one and it's two pages long, it's fine. But when there's a data page, like I feel like t- maybe the worst data pages for me are the Excalibur data pages because I like the other data pages that feel more like the files of something, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, Mm -hmm. ooh, interesting. Like I'm getting to see in someone's like secret office messages. But the Excalibur data pages, sometimes I read them and I feel so confused as I'm reading them, which I felt happened sometimes during Hoxpox too. Like I didn't really understand what they were saying. So I start to kind of tune out and then I'm like, oh, I just read this entire data page. What the heck did that just say? And there was one in particular that 
was talking, I think it was an Excalibur. It was talking about this other team that was fighting them. And it was listing each individual team member and their powers and where they got their powers and their personality. And I was like, do I really have to remember this? Like, do I really care? <laughs> I don't. I don't. So I, I, but I like the data pages. So, But if I had to pick something that wasn't working for me, sometimes they just feel too difficult to really comprehend. And sometimes they're put like right in the middle of something that like you're like okay uh, i don't want to read this data page right now like <laughs> can I, just, I skip this I, can, can i come just... back to this like yeah. but i probably won't come Usually. back if i skip it so yeah i mean most stuff is really working for me i'm really enjoying reading them and really starting to go to a deep dark place with x <laughs> great i would 100 percent agree I think that the data pages are unique. They provide information in, in a new way. They get us some information that we would not potentially otherwise get. Yes. I feel like they were very, at least in this way, there, there have been not necessarily data pages, but other graphical representations of information in comics previously. Mm -hmm. I feel like in this Hickman era, in this new dawn, They've become somewhat of a... Dawn of a new age. Okay, Scar. They've become somewhat of a requirement. It's almost as though it's a mandatory thing to include one or two data pages in each issue. Mm. And I feel like some You're like, don't do necessarily need, need it. And others, I'm like, you know, the... And I don't want to jump the gun, but the, the Cerebro Sword. Like, that shouldn't have yeah, been a data page. that should not have been a data that, page. I want to see that. that. And we still haven't seen it. Right. Or um, I still haven't well, seen it. Yeah. Highly upsetting. Yeah. And so I feel like with that as a requirement, it becomes, and I don't know if it's officially a requirement, if mm. there has to be so many data pages. I think there might be some issues that don't have any at all, but I'm not entirely sure. Not in this opening six, mm. but as you go further, I feel like it's a challenge. And it's an interesting challenge because sometimes it does come up with some really cool stuff. There is some really interesting inter-dialogue that happens on some of them. But yeah. Some other times I just feel like it's, oh, I need to do a data page. So here's a data so page. So here's a data page. Here's something that I could have done otherwise. And and especially when it only takes up like a quarter or half of the page. I'm like, what what is this? Yeah. Like there was one in Fallen Angels. It's two pages. I think it might have been the last Fallen Angels. So it's two pages long. And the first page is like a poem and it takes up the whole page. And then the second one is like one quote yeah. from Psylocke, and that's it. Well, I think actually that what you're referring to are somewhat of the the quotes that used to start and sometimes mm. start and end and books the issues, yeah. Which I did like. I did like that in Hoxpox. Yeah. So and maybe that, that's that what does that continue. was more referring to because that was the last last one of that one. That does continue in some other titles, but it's less of a mandatory thing. Is there an interconnected narrative on Krakoa? Are is this telling one larger story? I think so. I think so overall. There's a couple points where I feel a little bit like how, you know, like a couple times when Storm bounces from book to book and I'm like, how is she? What's the time? You know me in a timeline. I'm about to like make another board <laughs> and be like, what is the timeline on this? How, what is her? I know Krakow and Gates can make you travel quickly, but if she's mid battle and this one, 
this one title and then she goes over and she's mid battle in another title like how's that fleshing out i honestly feel like that's why you know krakoan gates and resurrection protocols i feel like are to upend the common tropes of comics where mm. you have wolverine in seven different books and you have the revolving door of death in all the comics you know these are this is basically hickman dancing on the tropes of comic books like, ha, ha, ha. i've done something now so so yeah that and then the only other thing that really sticks out to me as being kind of inconsistent is x23 slash wolverine so she's in one book as x23 and she has long hair and she looks kind of more like a kid and then she's in another book as wolverine and she has shorter hair and she goes by wolverine not x23 and and then then she goes into the vault and then yeah and then she goes into the vault what the heck so it's a little bit like okay wait aren't these supposed to be same timeline like what's the timeline well i don't think so and that's a good question i don't think the timeline is as tight as you are potentially reading it as mm-hmm. whereas everything has to happen in a certain order as they're being released you know well, we, we know for sure that it definitely isn't right because there is a couple of discrepancies especially with as you reference x23 and then the resurrection of, of xavier xavier right he yeah. appears in an issue of marauders but then is later resurrected in an issue of x-force that actually came out after that issue of marauders and in excalibur they make a point for apocalypse to say i was resurrected so quickly because because i'm on the council but then later in x-force wolverine and kid omega go through the thing and kid omega is decapitated and then in the next issue he's just like what's up guys well, don't like, ta- let's not talk about the fact that I needed to be Wolverine was just smooshed back together, but I oh, needed to be oh, resurrected. Oh, I love that page. <laughs> oh, I love that page. I would agree that, you know, you have the council members definitely take priority. Mm-hmm. I would put X-Force and I put the captains and X-Force probably just below well, yeah, the because, council members. Because they need X-Force to do all their dirty business. Exactly. Do you have more questions? Yep. Okay. Is, is, is this too many? No, it's good. I'm just anxious to talk about the books, but I can wait just like okay. everyone else can wait patiently as we fiddle with the strings of our sweatshirts. What's building off of the promise of Krakoa and Hoxpox? What feels like it comes... And we talked about this when we talked about the issue ones. Mm-hmm. Things that felt as though they came out of that jumping on point, that, that Hoxpox launch, and things that kind of felt like they were just doing their own thing that they could have existed in an entirely other way. You know, Mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily exactly fit. I would say Marauders, X-Force. Are building off of Are building. Excalibur, for the most part, I feel like is building. I feel as though Excalibur could exist on its own, as its own story. And that was the one that you initially called out that it just felt like it was doing its own thing, which it, it kind of is. It, it is. It just has those touch points of right. connection. They're like, they have like little loose threads. Like they're kind of off in their own other world. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I prefer it that way. You yeah. know, loose connection points, loose connection points across series, but not dependent on like, if I'm not reading x-force i should still be able to understand what's going on in new mutants Mm -hmm. yeah uh new mutants is i think doing its own thing fallen angels was its own thing what have i missed x-force x-men oh x-men 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 i feel like definitely is embedded in krakoa because it is it's so well i feel like it is 
but it's mostly because of the business dealings of Krakoa, right? Sure. It's but that is part of Krakoa. Yeah, that is part I mean of they're what forming a nation, right? Yeah. Your favorite series of these six? The Marauders. Ooh. Marauders, Marauders, Marauders. Marauders gets me the most riled up. <laughs> in a good way. In a in a mm, yeah. mixed answer to that. In a way, <laughs> in a good way because I'm excited, but in a way where I have like, like you you were not here. I know. When I finished reading, I know I wanted Marauders, to be, and, and I, I, I will, I'll tell you what happened. Okay, I was saying things out loud the way I react verbally to a book, like out loud. I couldn't even what? get, like, I couldn't even get in the door before she started yelling at me about Marauders issue six. Okay, and then I literally put the book down and stared into space with a scowl on my face <laughs> for like. <laughs> A solid two minutes. I was just like, oh, mm. I'm so mad. I missed I this. I was infuriated. And I like, honestly, I honestly almost waited to go get breakfast before, <laughs> until you finished that issue. I, yeah. So Marauders You're getting is my, heated. You're yeah. Getting heated. I, I'm like, my insides are boiling. Marauders is probably my favorite because I really like the story. I really love Kate. And what they're doing with her character. Yeah. It's not too complex of a story for my brain to understand. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of really great character building and quips between the characters and conversations. And then like a devilish little storyline that's going on. So you need a villain. You need a villain. And villains. Yeah. Yeah. I like Marauders. I was thinking that X-Force was going to be like my second, but I'm not sure anymore. Who's challenging it for number two? Beast. Oh, good. Go away, good. man. Like, good. Oh, I am always right. Oh, are you though? Okay, please. You're giving me Charles Xavier vibes and I'm going to punch you in your little stupid blue face. You would not understand how many people agree with you right now. <laughs> like that. The ego of Beast is it's so annoying. When when the trial of Magneto announced, everyone was like, "What about Beast? <laughs> what about, <laughs> but what about Beast? Hank, though?" What else? What else? X Men is growing on me. I I like X Men, but I'm interested. In I would I would agree. Kind of how that's gonna play out as it can as I continue to read what's already out, and then what happens when it like starts over. So just to take a side. Jerry Duggan, the yep. writer of Marauders, is taking over X-Men as it relaunches. Excellent. And that will be more of a continuous storyline, less of an anthology. And so, I, I mean, I I really like X-Men as the main title. To have it in this way it's was... It's not the main title to me. All right. So I'm telling you, it is. <laughs> Marauders it, is the main title. It's written, it's written by the head of X and it kind of builds... It continues to build the larger tapestry but of... But both of the queens are in Marauders. But they are only two members of the council. <laughs> Don't care. I feel like X-Men as a title is more about Krakoa, the yes. council, you're the right, captains. You're right, you're right, you're right. And to have a main title like this that doesn't follow a set team, that mm -hmm. doesn't you know give you updates on a continuous narrative is wildly different than anything else that had been done as an X-Men title. And I feel like it's a really interesting approach. It it worked for me. I really liked it. Yeah, I liked how I did like it. We got a lot more bigger picture. There was a lot of time to wait for follow up on there some was, of these stories. So I always forget like 
So each of these issues only came out once a month? Uh, in the beginning, it was a little faster. In because the beginning- there's one thing, I can't remember what what book it's at the end of, but someone was like, you have to wait till next month to find out or something. Yep. And I was like, oh yeah, you people had to wait a month. That was a New Mutants issue. Yeah. I remember that because I was rereading some of them the other day. But it's funny because it was a New Mutants issue that didn't, like the next issue went to the, the Nebraska story. story. So you technically had to wait. Two months. A, yeah, two months or maybe even a full month because like I said, all 36 of these issues came out between October and February. So mm. that's... You want to know... That's only four months of time. So so you want to know my other, the other one that I like? Sure. That might surprise you. The only thing that's going to surprise me is if you say Excalibur right now. What? Yep. That's the one. What? That's the one. You hated Excalibur. I hated Excalibur because I didn't understand it. And now I understand it. Wow. What do you like about it? Apocalypse is dirty, dirty business. <laughs> um, Rogue. Would, would agree. Rogue and like, get, first of all, Rogue and Gambit doing Love story. naughty, naughty time in the pool or whatever what's that about but i yeah i just i don't know there's something about the storyline and the you know hello i love harry potter and wiz- wizards and magic, magic. Yeah. like it's like superheroes and wizards together in one story that's interesting that's i mean i and also like this whole idea that like the braddocks are actually like super important to other worlds and they're like a pure line of royalty and so like their father Jamie is terrible but i love him yeah. like you're gonna like ten of swords probably ten of swords really comes out of some of the things that teeny howard is building in excalibur and then merges with some of the things that hickman's mm. building and cool. yeah so yeah i would say marauders x-men and excalibur are the top half and then new mutants Fallen Angels and X Force. Although X Force is like the t- X Force is number four. Yeah, and it's hard. So it's, it's, it's hard a- to say between New Mutants and Fallen Angels, but I'm gonna have to put Fallen Angels last. I think it sounds well, and it sounds like you're you're putting it last, which everybody did, but you're giving it a far more generous read than most people did. Where it seems like you enjoyed every one of the stories. I did. I did. I conflict <laughs> well i i don't know if i want to like if i say what i have to say right, right now it, it basically the... wraps up my feelings about all right save it fallen angels as a whole title so favorite characters kate <laughs> kate pride captain kate pride characters plural okay <laughs> <laughs> kitty no <I'm> just <laughs> um okay let's see care oh well i don't know if i would call her my favorite but a surprise moment of ooh okay boom boom <laughs> i'm sorry but, but boom, you never boom. knew her yeah i never knew her boom boom into her drunk mess yeah hello rick like <laughs> boom boom is rick she literally shows up at one from rick and morty she oh. literally shows up at one point and she's like you're welcome bleh, from for saving you <laughs> Like, I just came through a portal and saved your butt. What's drunk, up? Drunk I'm Rick, Rick without the science. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Okay. But and she's got not... a portal gun through Krakoa. Let's see. Who else do I feel is one of my faves? Oh, man. You you probably would have loved it if she got drafted onto the X-Men team then. Maybe. I don't know if I would have loved it. 
right? Because she doesn't really. She's she's a, it, she's like a side. It's basically, I'm gonna surprise you with like how good I am, but I also need to be like, don't give me that much responsibility. That's essentially what I said in my pitch when we talked about the election. That mm-hmm. she just doesn't really feel like a top tier X Men team member. You mm-hmm. know, she's great. She's a lot of fun. I love her personality and cool power, but I just don't take her as the big the big leagues. Yeah. Let's see who else. Okay, well, let me go through like each book. Obviously, my standout character in Marauders is Kate, and I do love me some Emma Frost. X-Force. Not Beast. Not Beast. Wolverine like doesn't count. Why? I mean, because obviously Wolverine. Like, I guess if I had to pick someone from X-Force, it would be Wolverine. Um, I like Sage from X-Force. Yes, I do like Sage. I really like how interestingly they're using her ability. I mean, I... I We'll agree that she's kind of tech support on the side, but I feel like she works in that role. And I feel like she brings some of an interconnected tapestry to the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. X-23. So I'm calling her X-23 because I, I'm choosing her for Fallen Angels. Okay. As my I mean, she was only in from one, that story. She was only in one issue of X-Men. Right. Otherwise. So, but I know that like her name now is Wolverine. But her from Excalibur. What about the... Oh, yeah. Go for Excalibur. I don't know who my favorite character from Excalibur is. It's Apocalypse. It's Apocalypse. No, I don't know. Rogue as Apocalypse, like Apocalypse, Rogalypse. I don't know. Diggity, diggity down with that. I really like Richter too. Oh God, I don't know. It's not Betsy. Even though like the story is centered around Betsy, it's not Betsy. It is very much so centered around Betsy. Um, what have I missed? X-Men. And the space arc of New Mutants, if there's someone from that other New Mutants team that you would pick out. Mm. I don't know, because I feel like most of the New Mutants team has been around Berto and Sam. Like that, now that they're in space, like they seem to be the forefront of the story. And if I had to choose one of them, I would choose Sam because it's not Berto. Yeah. I love magic. Yeah. I mean, I love I love magic for sure. I just feel like she isn't as, well, I guess she's kind of prominent yeah. in the story. She's the captain, right? War captain. Yeah. Even though, so Sam and Danny have traditionally been the leaders of mm. the team, and that's why they were like, wait, what is this? What's happening? It's a Krakoan thing. It's a Krakoan thing. And then, I don't know. Those are the people who stand out to me. I mean, honestly, like, it's just Kate. It's Kate for me. Great. <laughs> Uh, I, the last question was just any big questions, but I guess we can talk about that as we go. Yeah, what happens to Kate? <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> well, I, I know she can't. She can't be dead, dead because she's still around right now. So, but like, we'll wait until we get to Marauders, and we can talk about it a little bit. All right, so we have six titles that we're talking about today. Six titles. Do you have any preference of where we start? Let's save Marauders for the end. Let's go backwards in my order. Let's start with Fallen Angels. All right. We'll start with Fallen Angels. So let me get that. Let me get my Fallen Angels notes up. All right. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about each issue or do you want to just kind of talk about the arc as a whole and if there's any points that we want to pull out? Bigger picture arc as a whole. Okay. So Fallen Angels, how I felt about that, that title as a whole was that it was a way for them to give Kanan her own identity. 100%. Which I think was great, 
but I feel like they gave you a lot of information, but once you digested that information, you didn't actually learn anything. Like, okay, you have this whole story of Apoth, Apoth, whatever, however you pronounce it. He's so creepy looking. He's so creepy looking. And it's really cool, but it's very cryptic as far as like, okay, is he connected to the hand? Like the hand is referenced a bunch and this idea that she was trained to, you know, be who she is and that she had something to do with the creation of Apoth. And he uses this drug to control the minds of people. And I love that she was so dumb as to give it back to Mr. Sinister. I really don't know what you were thinking. Like, destroy destroy it. Destroy it. But I don't know. It just felt like so much of it was, hey, we're giving you all this information and we're giving you this backstory, but also like you don't really learn anything new. And I think that part of why I felt that way was because we did a Psylocke episode, right? So I got a lot of these like little tidbits about her history, whereas maybe most readers were sort of like, okay, I need this all compiled in one place because it's been scattered throughout the years and I don't didn't have Justin or listen to that episode of the ex-wife podcast to know what was like Mm -hmm. her particular points. So that's kind of how I feel about it as a whole. I will also say that as the book progressed, though it seemed like at the beginning that it was really going to be a Psylocke story, to me, it was an X-23 story. To me, it was Laura saying, okay, I see this person. She needs help. So I'm going to establish a team I'm going to show how I can be a leader and I'm going to assist this person in reaching their goal because they need that help. But I don't really feel like Psylocke was in charge of that team at all. She kind of did her own thing and X-23, Laura, Wolverine was like... Ran the show on the ground. Yeah, I would 100% agree that this story was a launch point for Kanan. Mm-hmm. This was a, hey, we have this new character. They're separate from Betsy. We're using both of them as specific characters. Get to know Psylocke a little. This is what she's doing. We're building a couple of seeds with some connection to Sinister, with uh, a daughter, with Apoth. Did you feel like it wrapped up satisfyingly? I don't know. I, I feel like it was, it, I don't know how I mean, far in advance they knew it was going to wrap up and be complete. My last, my note at the very top of issue six was you had an awful lot to wrap up in one issue because the name of the issue is Conclusion, I think. And I was just a little bit like, how are you going to wrap all this up? I do, I did kept keep feeling like there was some sort of tie-in or connection to the idea of the phalanx. And I know that in X-Men they talk about Omega level sentinel or Omega sentinels and that kind of connection of like human technology merging. But this like Apoth kind of gave me phalanx vibes in this, like we are all controlled by this one mind idea. So I was like, maybe there's some kind of connection to that or, you know, and honestly through the, it was almost like a, I don't want to say discount phalanx, but it was the fact that you're using technology to control people and, Mm -hmm interconnect people so there are ways that it's kind of like a precursor to what the phalanx become later on or what they are technically now but kind of like phalanx light yeah there is something in 
that I, I just wanted to point out something about art, the art. And it's the Michelangelo, like, God hand yep. painting. So there's an image where... Okay, so in issue four, there's a whole a whole part where, you know, Apoth is is saying that reaching out to he is God and she created God and like reaching out for her to like touch God and there's like an image of their two hands like starting to come together and it very much as soon as I saw it I was like oh that's that painting yep that she's like reaching to touch God yeah. so I just thought that was a cool like art thing to highlight there are times like i said i do feel like this book was i always got through it really quickly because it was so art based and not a lot of dialogue or mm -hmm. word bubbles or whatever you want i think to call probably them. least words per page of any of them even we talked about x-force having somewhat similar but i feel like yeah but i really did like the motion of the art yeah and i love the items. i did feel one thing that i thought was really cool about the art was that even though I said, you know, I feel like, oh, this was more of an X-23 story as much as it was a Psylocke story. It was like each of them kind of starting to find their identity, which was being talked about by Psylocke in the beginning, you know, was like we're all these individuals, these orphans who haven't had like caterpillars becoming butterflies. I felt that at the end for Psylocke and for Laura, but I didn't really necessarily feel that for Cable. Like, so I don't think he got that. Which is interesting, and I'll throw this in as a... I feel like Laura had that previously. Mm. So like before going into this, Laura had a lot more than what seemed to be portrayed in her characterization in this story. And that was probably one of my bigger gripes of this as a series, was that it took a lot of growth and a lot of characterization that, that really moved her forward, and it took that away. It mm -hmm. brought her back. And it basically gave us another way of her finding it. That's interesting. Well, I didn't know that. So that was my version of her finding it. But, and and that, that's great. But I will say about the art was that I feel like the color, the colors of the art, like the black, the pinks and the purples, that was pretty consistent throughout most of the art. And like whenever there was a fight scene or something like that, that was really prevalent that it did make me feel like I was almost inside Psylocke's head. Like mm. this was her experience. This was her story. Even though I did feel like narratively it kind of pushed Laura's story and this idea of Laura being a leader. But I just, I always thought that was very interesting about the art that it was so often colored in, you know, what I would consider Psylocke colors or yeah. like what she sees like with her psychic abilities is always that pink and that was really prevalent in the art. So I thought that was really an interesting choice and something that I just really wanted to point out. But yeah, I just, there was a part of me that felt like this didn't, this story didn't need to be six issues long. And I like what it set up. I like that, you know, Sinister's just kind of chilling in the background with this tech now and like, what is he going to do with it? Mm -hmm. I thought it was important for a character who, has been so separated, right? She was hidden in her own body for so long to have been given the opportunity to claim her body as her own and tell her own story. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit confused about the part at the end where her and Betsy were like doing like Ninja Warrior, like <laughs> the Tai same. Chi in the same place, but yeah. like talking to each other, but also like stay away from me. I thought it was hysterical. In one one issue, I just wrote... 
don't you even talk about Elizabeth Braddock. I don't need her. And then I wrote preach about Xavier, though. And I don't even remember <laughs> what she said, but I just know that I have a lot of feelings about Xavier right now currently. And she must have said something about him being annoying or a know-it-all or in your head. The or... great teacher. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> so I don't know. That's my thoughts on Fallen Angels. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've said it a couple of times. It was my least favorite at the beginning. I almost, I would say I didn't really like it at the beginning. Mm. Uh, I, I would definitely say that. I did not like it when it was coming out. I bought it. I still continued through. Mm-hmm. I question how long it was intended to be because even as we're talking about the other issues, Laura has, Wolverine has another story that she then goes off to. So yeah. she couldn't continue in this. Cable gets his own ongoing series shortly after this. Mm. Kanan has another series. It comes a little bit later, but has another series where she goes in the the wave two or three of these titles. And I will say that series is probably one of my favorites now. Mm. And kudos to that writer, Zeb Wells, for picking up on some of the threads that are established in this series. I don't think that that was a requirement, but both Sinister and Kanan are big parts of that story. That's cool. So I would 100% agree it is first because it's last. And (laughs) it was a little long to be this story. I felt like they did kind of wrap up some of the things, but also it just felt really quick at the end. It just just felt like a long-winded conversation. Yeah. You know, like a lot of explanation for not a lot of payoff as far as, like we still don't really know I guess the hand is kind of responsible for Apoth, but like, how did he get this drug? And how did he increase his technology? And like, oh, I feel like there's still so many unanswered questions. But so in that, I feel like it gave you questions to ask about Kanan and about her backstory and about mm-hmm. what could be her future story. And I feel like in that way, it was necessary to give you something to help this character stand on her own. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next, if we're going in my order, would be New Mutants. New Mutants. New Mutants. Now, we talked about New Mutants. It was when you read volume three. We talked about it briefly. You were so angry that it went to another story. Well, okay. So if you want, just as a disclaimer... If you want my deep feelings about any of volume three, which was a turning point for me, you should subscribe to our Patreon for just $3 a month and you'll get a special bonus episode that was supposed to be a mini episode talking about volume three, which was in fact 40 minutes long. Yep. So yes, I was upset. I was upset because I kept reading the book going, where are the new mutants? (laughs) Who are these new, new mutants? What is going on? Why are we not in space? They are definitely new, new mutants because they are much younger of a class. Yeah. So I don't know because I liked, okay, let's talk about like space new mutants and then Nebraska new mutants. Okay. So space new mutants. I liked where the story was going. I liked the first issue or so better because it felt more like a collective group story and then I felt like it became the Berto show like the whole story was it started out like hey we're friends we're going into space to find our friend Sam because we're a family and we're together and we all live together great and then as the story progressed it's like singularly told from Berto's perspective 
and like narrated by him and really just centered around him. And I don't find him relatable as a character. I find him highly annoying and arrogant. So it kind of made me not like the story as much. Mm. I think it's interesting that they are on this space space mission i like kind of where that's going and the the tie-in with shiar space and all this the bird lady death bird death bird i think that's you know an interesting storyline space police i laughed at you know their their space lawyer and his inability to be a lawyer you know it's just it's interesting because i also felt a little bit like so they're all supposed to be around the same age, right? All of the new, the original New Mutants. Um, there, there's a couple of age differences between. I think Shan is a little bit older. I just felt like they all seemed young, and then we met Sam in space with his like wife and baby, and they felt older. Yep. And so that was a little bit of a disconnect for me. I mean, I like the story. I'd be interested to see like where it goes with where they go in space and you know how is that related to this egg thing that they the king were egg. gonna steal and so i'll tell you it, it honestly i don't know that it does it justice here so we're talking about the space story i really enjoyed the space story issue seven of new mutants quote unquote wraps up the space story okay and then collides into issues eight and nine of x-men where we get some follow-up as to what that king egg is and and w- how that affects the world of Krakoa. That's cool. Um, and I really do like that story. So I feel like the seeds of this, the characters, I love these characters. Oh, it was New Mutants. That New Mutants was the one where it told me all about this team that I didn't care about. The death, whatever they oh, are. Oh, the death commandos? Yeah. It was like, let's talk about each of them and their individual, like strengths and weaknesses and how they got their power i was like no no seven data pages i don't want this right now like i'm in space i'm back with the people like let me have the story okay i'd agree Um, with that i wrote some i had some choice words i wrote like am i honestly supposed to remember all this bleeping bleep especially as a bunch of them die in this issue or get defeated by why'd you need to tell me why i need all that backstory I didn't. You don't give me that much backstory about mutants that I need to know about for like the next 27 issues. So what are you, what are you doing? I love Rod Reese's art though. Yeah, the art is great. Now, the Nebraska story. The Nebraska story does get wrapped up in this six issue arc. It I is like... three issues out of the six. I like the introduction of Boom Boom. I dig her character because she's very... She just reminds me of Rick. I think I wrote like... Oh, let's see. What did I write about Boom Boom? Okay, I kind of like Boom Boom. She gives me a little Jessica Jones vibes. So first I was like, ah, she's Jessica Jones. And then she shows up, saves them, burps with alcohol in her hand. And I said, oh, no, no, she's Rick of Rick and Morty. So I do appreciate the connection to the, like I liked hearing the story about how these people went from having this plague that was created because of like man-made things, not having access to the cure for these things because people were, you know, selling it at this higher price. And then now they're basically trying to steal the drugs from Krakoa to do the same thing, which I did think, there it is, there's the picture, 
which I did think was an interesting tie into the conversation that happens in X-Men where Magneto is talking to um, all of those leaders and he's basically like, you taught us how to gain control without leverage people force, with what they you know? need, yeah. And so I did like that tie-in and the fact that that threat of the Nebraska story felt very related to the world of Krakoa as it is and what's kind of unfolding with that. But it felt like, especially the fact that as soon as they came back, those little twins changed all their memories to think like they just wanted to come to Krakoa and nothing bad happened. It was kind of like, and we erased this story. Yeah. It was basically, how do we get Beak and Angel to be on Krakoa? But like, you didn't need a whole story to do that. You could just bring them and no one would know the difference, would they? Did like, was that known ex-knowledge that Beak's father was ill and they just weren't going to... I mean, oh, I mean, it's the same reason why you take 20 minutes instead of if the answer is clear and you want to tell a story. Right, right. That's how storytelling works. I I would agree that it felt a little unnecessary and I wasn't crazy about where this story went. I thought that it was kind of interesting. This this other group, this these guys from Mm. Costa Perdita. Yeah. These other guys from Costa Perdita, Republic of Costa Perdita, but here's my here's a qualm I have. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit in our Patreon episode, but Beak and Angel. Okay? They have babies. Yep. All Beak is a male character. Angel is a female character. All of the male babies look like Beak and have the same powers as Beak. And all of the female babies look like Angel. Like... That to me was a little bit like, what is this? This isn't how mutants babies work. And I know, you know, you talked to me about Mystique and Nightcrawler. uh, And then what's his dad's name? Azazel. Azazel. And like how Mystique and Azazel together makes Nightcrawler. That to me makes sense. But this idea that like Beak and Angel are just popping out tiny duplicates of themselves. One of these, one of the boys does have angel wings. Let me see. Okay, fine. But I would agree that that is kind of suspect that all of these children and maybe, you know, I don't know. Most mutants don't manifest their powers until puberty. Right. So they're all like tiny babies. So but there is some word about if you have two mutant parents that you might get it a little sooner. And that especially if both of your parents have physical mutations, then they might pass down that physical mutation. Kurt was blue when he was born. So Mm. I feel like that, you know, he did look like he looks from the start. So I feel like that has something to do with it. They might. Unknowable. Right. They might manifest some more mutant powers when they actually hit puberty or they might just remain kind of physically mutated characters. I did think that that was suspect that they were all kind of. It was kind of like an unnecessary thing that irked me. Like I didn't need to be irked by it, but because it was so prevalent, there were so many of them. I was like, why is this a thing? Um, I don't know if that's like, you know, the the bug nature or fairy, whatever, the bug nature of angel and the bird nature of beak where I also got to say, I, I think he's a nice guy, but I have a hard time with blob, glob, 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 that's his name, glob Herman. Like I just have a hard time and I feel bad saying these words coming out of my mouth, but I have a hard time looking at him like something just like every time I'm like a little freaked out. And I don't love it, but you know, I like him and he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. 
and I really like the dynamic between him and the twins and the way that these two twins just like they just don't they don't understand their, they don't you know like sort of they don't know their own strength they don't understand yeah. their own evil yep. and when he's like why do you have to have this elaborate story about this guy cheating with this other guy's wife like well how else did you expect us to get them free like i don't know just say you're actually our friends and you're here to help us and then they like <laughs> do that with the other guy and they're like yeah yeah our friend that's what it is and then after then they change like the whole family's memory and armor's like what did you do and she's so mad at them and they're like we don't understand what we're, we're like we're just trying we thought this was the right thing like we don't know what the right thing is how to handle our powers I did like I feel like them. that goes a little into Maxime and Manon's backstory and just where they come from and why why they're like that because of how they were raised and how they were brought into their powers. Mm-hmm. This manipulative this manipulative use of their powers. I did have, you know, I was I was conflicted when I first got this additional story because I was I did feel a little bit cheated that there's six issues and then half the issues or more you know whatever it's not the full new mutants in space story it's these two stories that are shoved into one and I did feel a little bit like what the heck but I did enjoy the Nebraska story as it was going in the way that it tied in in the the way it built suspense with like them being captured and the power dampening things and the way that Boom Boom was kind of like just living her life and then all of a sudden realized, oh, they've been gone for weeks, like yeah. days or yeah. what? And getting to know her as a character and, you know, the stakes were really high. Like the moment when the guy like pulls Beak's father out and has yeah. already just like killed the mother and then is about to kill the father and Angel's like, pleading with him and like Mm -hmm. going back and forth like all of that was really high stakes and really good storytelling and and i did enjoy that but and so i guess like i i guess every story doesn't have to have like a huge purpose right it's just a story right and and i said that before we even started this that the weight that these titles and these stories carry is nowhere near the weight of what hoxpox was setting up this is more mm. living in this world that has then been created and telling us some stories and moving some characters forward, bringing in some new characters or some new threats. And then, you know, even just the idea, Docs. Yes. The newspaper. Okay, why is that? And that's that's a thing that continues. That, Docs. It's like, that's Dawn of X. Just so we know. <laughs> but also, it's this, this news outlet of covering the The movements. Dawn of X. Covering the movements and motions of mutants and docs. Yeah. Let's see. Did I have anything else I wanted to point out about (sighs) new mutants? Just looking through my notes and I'm laughing because when when Roberto was like trying to like go talk to the bird lady. Yeah. And and. He says something. I'm and, kind of a big deal. And it's no, I, was, it's no big I wrote deal. like, she clearly does not need your protection, you choice word here. And then I right underneath that it says, magic is awesome. <laughs> Do you want to make out with me? That Do you yes. want to make Do out with you me? you want to make out with me? Kind, kind of, but, of, I'm, but working. I'm working. I was like, yes, magic. Yes, magic. Yeah. And yeah. And, and like, like I was saying about this, the suspense building thing, you know, when 
Beak and Angel and all of them are down in the basement and they get out and then Beak's just like walking up to the top of the stairs and you just see those two side by side side by side shots of him walking up the stairs and then him immediately getting shot. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure out loud I said something and you were I was like, What? And you were like, What, what? And I was like, Hold on. I kept on checking in on you as you were reading these because I was like, This I I wanna you made me read so many more because you were reacting to them as you were Yeah getting the new information but yeah i mean those are my overall feels about new mutants i didn't i didn't have any like earth shattering revelations i like the setup of the space story and i like that we're starting to see the way that humans are reacting to what the establishment of krakoa means for them yeah i'm surprised you didn't ask about xandra who's xandra the princess of the shiar refresh me when does she come in Show me her face. So Xandra is the princess that they are. They're getting Deathbird to come in and then Oracle. Why would I ask about her? What's what? What should I have asked? Tell me. <laughs> well, I just didn't know. I didn't think that you knew who she was. But also there are a lot of people that you didn't know who she is, who they are. Yeah. Just like in general, I, I expected not to know who any of the Shi'ar people were. And then gotcha. I was just like, this is a world that I don't know anything about. And they're trying to replace their leader with this crazy bird lady and it's like a big no well, no death bird is traditionally a villain interesting i mean and, she definitely gives off a villain vibe and she is death bird is i mean her name is death bird death bird is lalandra's sister yes i think they say that yes death bird is xandra's aunt lalandra is xandra's mother mother kind of oh i'm sorry xandra as in xandra yes yes <laughs> So Xavier's daughter, not really uh, a daughter in the traditional sense. It is more of a genetic creation of their materials after they were dead. You know, these people, they needed an heir. They needed a little, the, there's a lot of babies being made, babies in test tubes. Yep. I just felt like I needed to mention that because she'll probably come up and there was some back and forth of whether or not Xavier actually knew about Xandra. Her being in existence. Yeah. There is an issue of Way of X that it seems as though he very much so does because he's got a picture of her on his dresser. Oh, interesting. And his other random children. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's a story for another day. All right. X-Force, X-Force, X-Force. Listen, I started out really enjoying X-Force, and it's not that I didn't enjoy it. It's just that that last issue for me... When it was now, everything's from Beast's perspective. And I'm Beast. I'm amazing. And I can never be wrong. And I'm the leader of this team because I'm the smarty, smart, smart pants. And y'all are dumb. And I'll just sit here and pull, puppet you and pull your strings. Like, I'm, I'm just not into that. And then it's like, oh, really? You're always right, Beast? Because it seems like you made a slithery Groot demon. Yep. Like, literally, there's one, the first page where you can see those organic techno organic beings or whatever and i've just wrote like groot question mark the, the people from terra verde yeah so they'll come up in i've seen them in the preview art of the hellfire gala oh that's cool they continue on and it's interesting in terms of ben percy's writing style mm. some like it some don't the fact that his arcs don't necessarily wrap up neatly in a six issue so we're, we're kind of ending this assassin factory story 
slash not really because we don't find out too much yeah, about so Zeno. These are two different groups. Right. That that was like kind of the one thing that I was like, all right, so we have these people who captured Domino, this peacock tattoo dude, who captured Domino, were taking bits of her skin to put on their own bodies so that they could get into Krakoa because they could trick the Krakoan gates into thinking that Domino was entering. And then they their bodies also explode when they die. And, and they have all these weapons embedded into themselves. Yeah, they have all themselves. these crazy weapons and they're super into like anti-mutant, whatever. But then they're different from these tree people. So that's one thing. I just want to take a moment to just talk about Forge and the weapons that Forge is creating out of Krakoa, which is, is, is interesting because it seems very similar to what these other, like the bad guys are doing. They have like the same version you know like this thing that he creates for domino come like she can command it with her mind and it's very much the same but i just think that it's so cool and you know when she's using it for stuff and like she gives herself like wolverine claws at one point and just all of that was super awesome the action the art in this book is by far one of my favorite joshua kassara it's so good like i love it every time this issue five cover with yes the the bodysuit that forge gives himself in issue five i loved when he comes through the gateways portal it's just the it's the visual storytelling of this art paired with just like the colors and the art itself that's so beautiful but just the the battling like the battle scenes and this whole this whole thing with wolverine Chopped in half. Being chopped in half. I have uh, so many questions. Uh, like, how how you did you first. get over there, though, Wolverine? How did you crawl your little self all the way over there? Stabbed his claws in the ground. But then, uh, when they shoot him, and he's all full of bullet holes and his little eyeballs just dangling there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so gruesome. It's so, gr- I don't know. This art is. It does. I mean, I believe this is the only one that says parental advisory on it. Well, that's understandable. Yeah, I don't know. And and just the fact that, like, I was thinking about this as I was reading. I was like, okay, so Wolverine, one, the fact that these these folks can somehow stop and control the gates with buttons or whatever, that's interesting and noteworthy. But the fact that Wolverine is, like, sliced in half, I was like, okay, so he, like... I think they blew it up. So they blew up the gate. Oh. And so because Quentin and Wolverine were, like, halfway through... Quentin, I thought they Quentin's like Quentin's head came through and half of Wolverine came through, but Domino actually runs through the gate because that's actually talked about in issue six of X Men, where if the other gate is not there, mm-hmm. you would just walk through it as if you're just walking. So that in makes this sense. Room. I was thinking they like closed it and it was like shoop, closed and it like chopped them, but now I understand that it was exploded. Okay, but so I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, so Wolverine. Like his body heals and he regenerates. So is he going to turn into two Wolverines? Like are his legs going to grow a torso and his torso is going to grow new legs? Or will it just be the torso that grows new legs? Like how Deadpool grows new legs? It's because he, his brain is in the top half. And then when Forge just like smushes him together and he's like, no, I just need to hold you here while your body reconnects. I was just like, that's awesome. But it's so, it's so cool. X-Force is, is it, yeah, X-Force is the one where I had my. Flip out about Charles Xavier? Yes. 
And I still feel that way, even more so now that I have finished reading X-Men. Because Charles was dead. And, you know, he talks about it. I think it might be in X-Men that he talks about the idea that, oh, my death was great because it showed the people like showed the mutants that they could do this without me. And then it's not about me. It's about them. Right. He says that, but he's dead. And all these reporters are like, what happened? What happened? What happened? Magneto's like, okay, I'm going to go talk to them. And black Tom's like, yeah, just like shove things and stab them and whatever, like show them your brute strength. And Magneto flat out says like, nah, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way, my new way. My new way. And he goes out there and before he even has a second to say anything, Charles comes out and he's like, no, don't say anything. And he's all, I'm always going to be here and I'm the best and I'm Charles Xavier. And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, go away, Charles, because like. I feel like there's some of that that you're adding in just because of how much you love Magneto. I agree <sighs> that he stepped on Magneto's moment, but Magneto was going in there. It's to okay. Magneto gets his moment later. Yes. Yes, he most certainly does in X-Men number four. Yes, he does. There are a lot of things that I feel like you felt about this exchange and how Xavier walked out to basically silence what might have been said about what had happened on Krakoa because they were trying to protect the state secrets of the fact that, you know, okay, they're able to resurrect each other, but that's not public knowledge. Okay, but also Charles has a bunch of seedy companies that nobody knows about. Yeah. I'm done with Charles Xavier. I'm sorry, but this is how I feel. I have been led to believe by movies and my surface knowledge of the X-Men that Charles Xavier is this great man who cares so much about mutant and humans. And guess what? I don't think that's true. I think he is self-centered and only cares about himself. And if his dream doesn't work one way, he's going to make it work another way. And okay, maybe saying oh, he only cares about himself. Is he cares about bit. the mutants. He does care about the mutants, but I just think he is a glory hog. So I feel like some of it has to do with what Moira showed him and how he's operating differently in this world and in this timeline. And to have seen the fact that his dream always fails and that his people always get annihilated radicalized him in a way. Well, maybe he should have looked at it like maybe I shouldn't be the one in charge anymore because I always screw it up. And I would agree. And I, I'd say that there's still even even though it's definitely a partnership between him and Magneto in ways, there are ways that they're still kind of screwing it up. I this is just it's just. I just feel so angry as I learn more and more about him that and and then as I see other characters, you know, aside from I think the way Magneto is depicted in these books, the way that he has his power moments, even in Fallen Angels, he comes in at one moment and he says to Psylocke like he's like the shadowy beneficiary. He's like, yeah, he's like, listen, I just want you to know that we know what you're doing. Just so you're aware, we know what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing, yeah. you know? And there's, there's in, well, in X-Men. He also says, you know, it, it, oh, well, that might have been Sinister, where they're like, you know, this is happening elsewhere. This is happening in the world. We don't need to technically do this. We've got our own spot. They're not going to come for us. They can't get to Krakoa. Right. 
But like then, you know, the way in in when he's talking to Mystique and he's like, yeah, well, the rules don't really apply to you, Mystique, like whatever. Okay, but it's this idea that Magneto, he's there. Everybody knows Magneto and Charles are in charge. Okay, they're the head honchos. Everybody knows that. But Magneto takes a step back and he lets people do their things and he observes and he steps in when he needs to. And I feel like Charles doesn't know how to do that. I would agree. He's controlling he's, he's over protective he's micromanaging and as a human who does not like to be micromanaged i think that is why charles upsets me so much yep. and you know and also reading other books like when we read x-men red for mutant menace book club right we read that and i saw how gene handled everything without cyclops without xavier there and the way that Xavier talks about like, well, everybody needed to know that the five could do it and they don't need me. And it's not that I'm saying like completely go away, Charles, but I am saying a little bit like you take a step back, take a step back, yeah. like just back up for a second, like be be an overarching because, entity because but you don't need to be in everybody's business. Because all the I time. feel like some of his manipulations are coming back to bite him, at least now what I know and, mm-hmm. and just that micromanagement is not the best way forward for what they're trying to do. Yeah. So I think it was the thing that I was writing, like preach about Xavier or whatever, was something about this idea that they're telling you this is a place of like, you come here, you're free. This is your paradise. But they're also like telling you when you can leave and when you can't leave and controlling every little thing you do. Right. And I think that's why I get so frustrated is because my brain was trained to believe that the X-Men needed Charles Xavier, that mutants yeah, needed no. Charles Xavier. They don't. And they don't. And I think that he is just, the, both him the and schism, Magneto. Like the, the, the schism arc and event and when Cyclops basically steps away from the X-Men and then he teams up with Magneto mm-hmm. where we kind of got a little bit of intro to that through the all-new X-Men era. Uh, I feel like you would enjoy that because it is a Xavier-less world and how things can operate. You know, Magneto gets behind Cyclops because Cyclops was able to unite the people behind him. Yeah, I think the thing is it's just a difference But then also of, you hate Cyclops, so I don't know. But you know what? Like, I, I don't hate him as much as I hate Charles. I think the thing for me is making that... Making progress. Making progress. I think the thing for me is that maybe Charles just needs a little bit more self-confidence. Like, I don't know. It's like Magneto (laughs) Magneto knows that if he walks away and does something and then comes back to have a conversation with you, like if if Magneto comes to have a conversation with you, you're like, okay, I'm I'm in trouble. Like, I have done something that maybe I shouldn't do because he gives you that leeway. You know, like he's the parent who's going to let you do what you do, but he's going to put you in check if you if you go too far. Yeah. Where Xavier is like, I'm going to monitor every little thing you do. He's Where are you right now? You from what are you a doing? Mistake. Yeah, he won't let you make a mistake. And so I don't know. That's how I feel about Xavier. I had some less thoughtful words. You went words. off about issue three yeah yeah because because it was the way that he stepped out of that gate said don't say anything and then what proceeded to say i i i i i instead of we 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 and i hear that 
But those are my feelings about (laughs) (laughs) X-Force. Yeah. You don't like Xavier, but you also don't trust Beast. And I'd follow follow that. I would would maybe, you know, Xavier isn't the worst worst, but he is not the good guy that you thought he was initially. No, he's... And and I'll, I think a lot like a of that narcissist. I think a lot of that psychopath is <laughs> his desire to try and protect his people, and and what he's doing in in response to that desire is a little shady and suspect. Is a I lot think, shady and suspect. I think that for me, it's okay. So right, you look at both Xavier and Eric. Okay, Magneto, Magnus, whatever you want to call him today. Max, <laughs> Magneto. Okay, they both want what's best for their people, but Magneto knows when someone else is better for the job. Magneto knows how to delegate and how to be a leader, but he doesn't have to get all the glory. And I feel like Charles has a problem where he doesn't necessarily know how to delegate well. And if he does delegate, he still wants somehow that to come back to him, to come back to, but this happened because of me, because of my dream, my vision. Like, And I'm not saying that he that's a conscious decision. That's just something I notice is that he, he has some internal t- desire to always be connected to the glory, to get the credit. And that's why he micromanages. Mm. But anyway, X-Force is cool. Wolverine, I love him. I love his silly little lines. I think this storyline, like where it's going, both of these two kind of big bads that have been introduced, these two organizations are interesting. I really like what's happening with Domino. Yeah. And Forge is super cool. Yeah. No, I would I would agree with that. I really liked X-Force. I probably had it higher up than you did. But I also know that Beast is terrible. And I feel like where he's going might be Dark Beast. And I would like to see that. Ooh, Dark Beast. And I feel like if we're going to lean in on that, let's just lean in. Let's just let that happen. (laughs) Let's just let it happen. Issue six is not the worst of Beast. You got to embrace the fact that heroes and villains are not what you thought they were previously. Okay, let me tell you something. I'm not not embracing it i am in fact (laughs) embracing it too far where i take what they do personally okay so no longer is it like oh it's not like i'm reading this and i'm mad you're written that way i'm mad that you are doing what you're doing because it feels like a personal attack on me because i am part of your world and you're disrespecting me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's how i feel it's it's i get it people gonna be bad you know and there are plenty of people like sinister and apocalypse who are terrible and are constantly undermining their counterparts and their teammates and doing crazy things. But for some reason, I like them better. Because they're upfront about it. They don't hide behind the idea that they are better than that. Yeah. They are monsters. And I get mad at them. Like, I got PO'd at Apocalypse during Excalibur a couple of times. But then I'm like, oh, But it's Apocalypse. So you're like, I should have known that you were going to do that. All right, so let's talk about Excalibur next because although I might put Excalibur as my number two instead of X-Men, 
I think we'll talk about it as the number three slot just to find like a happy medium between you and I. So we know that I started out highly confused and very upset by Excalibur. Hated it. Was not a fan. Was not a fan. Did not know what was happening. Didn't like it at all. I feel like, so I would agree. I I probably liked Excalibur more than Fallen Angels when it was first coming out. Mm Mm-hmm. But I was confused at the beginning. You know, there was a lot of unknown. There was a lot of big picture that I wasn't in on. Yeah, no, uh, I just, I think the idea that there are, you know, different groups, there's covens and there's the kingdom and then, you know, Otherworld is being attacked, but it's really this deep idea that like Apocalypse wants to control Otherworld and he's going to control it through Jamie and Jamie's going to be the king because of this idea that the Braddocks have, you know, are, are sort of like the rightful heirs. There's just like a lot of stuff that's like, ooh, that's interesting. Like the fact that Shogo, Shogo, yep. Shogo can turn into a dragon when he's there. When he's in Otherworld, yeah. What? What? Interesting. And then also that dragon fire, like basically ruins. Melts realities. Like what? Like that's cool. A lot of cool high concept. Yeah. Yeah. Dragons. And especially after you get through the first probably three or two issues, it lays that down. I feel like there could have been a little bit, I don't know about better pacing, but just more building that world in a in a way over those three issues that wasn't just, hey, here's all the stuff that you mm. don't know that you have to know and... But I do feel like they then continued to build that world out, you know, because there's like when Richter yeah. and Gambit go underneath and there's that whole the group Druids. that's down there. And then I was like, the Druids, I feel like I've heard of them before. Well, Druids, that's like more of a like a Dungeons and Dragons okay, character see? type. So and, I think that's, and that's what, what a lot of what Teeny Howard has said, that she's approaching this as the magic of and role playing games and that mm. different characters fit different roles in your party. And I feel like that's interesting. And it's I a different way to approach comics. I think that's why I like comics. it so yep. much. Cause I feel like it definitely gives me this, like we're on a quest vibe in a different way. Like it's still, obviously they have powers and they use their powers, but they feel more like a full team doing stuff in. They, it's just a, di- it's a different, it's set in a different world mm-hmm. most of the time it just i i don't know the the magic loving side of me the dragons the the sorcery you know the crystals mm-hmm. like i i'm into it i'm into it i would say if you're loving excalibur because of rogue rogue's leaving i mean she's leaving but also she she's not served the best throughout the it is very much so the Betsy Braddock show mm, and I don't want to I don't want to take away your enjoyment of this series because I think that that's great I think I really do like what it's setting up I feel like it hits its stride after Ten of Swords and it really still doubles down on the fact that it's the Betsy Braddock show but it does it so much better out of Ten of Swords I just really liked what Rogue said about apocalypse specifically because it was that was sort of a turning point in how i looked at apocalypse so it's after she she wakes up and then she basically she's mad at apocalypse for putting gambit in danger and for tricking her into basically becoming into this like flower stasis that she was in so she's mad at him because he's trying to kill gambit so that he can get the power from those crystals or whatever to 
to make what he wants to happen happen and then she starts like sucking his life force out and then he's like yeah kill me and i'm like okay i'm mad at you apocalypse but then i think it's i think in that moment when rogue says what i'm about to say I see Apocalypse more like I see Magneto and that he has his agenda, but he cares about his people, right? Mm. So he he knew what he was doing with Rogue in that he tricked her he he tricked her into doing this because he knew if he didn't, his plans would destroy Krakoa. Mm -hmm. And he took Richter out of like this terrible state that Richter was in. And he, yes, he took him to use him. Because he needed him. But he did help him. And he took him out of his depression. And he helped him control his powers. And the same thing like Jamie. What's going on with Jamie? He's a hot (laughs) mess. He's getting up in everybody's business, drinking in the pods. Like, he's a mess. Well, let's take Jamie and let's give him a purpose. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I just, obviously, I have said this before. Like, I love a villain. So I just think it's like the building of this story and the way that at first I was super confused. And now I'm starting to see them like put things into place. I had like a huge shock moment when they're like, okay, so what's going to happen is in order for like when Apocalypse was like, nah, we're just going to duel at that moment. And he was like, you're going to pick your champion. Who's going to be Brian? And I'm going to pick my champion. Who's going to be Betsy? And we're going to make them battle it out. And it's like, okay, well, if Brian kills Betsy, Betsy can just come back. But at that point, I was like, if Betsy kills Brian, what happens then? Right. And, you know, just this like struggle of, okay, Apocalypse, you just put this girl in a place where she needs to, basically she needs to kill her brother or they lose. And then... It's like she accidentally kills him. Like they're fighting and they're fighting over this sword. And then Jamie says something distracting like, don't fight over a sword. That could be dangerous. And then yes, she stabs him. And, you know, I did think I didn't really know. So it seems like so are Jamie's powers kind of like Wanda's powers? In reality, like warping. reality warping. So okay. he's an Omega level reality warper. So they're basically and like. Wanda's the Scarlet Witch, right? So there's kind of both like magical in that sense or Yeah, I mean I Jamie has much more connection to magic and other world through his last name and through his family name. Okay. So his father, and I was gonna say this before, the history of the Braddocks, mm-hmm. uh, James Braddock, their father I saw that little like family tree and I was like, Papa Badrock is from Otherworld. Like mm-hmm. he's he's a descendant of Otherworld. He is not of our earth. Mm-hmm. And he came to 616 to the earth to be the great protector and to create a family and to basically set up this outpost as the protection of this planet, this world, this universe. Cool. Yeah. So then I, I didn't know that Jamie could just like touch Brian on the forehead. And I love, (laughs) I love that when he resurrected him, he just went boop. Boop. Like that was amazing. So for me at that moment, I was like, Oh my gosh, you just killed him. She killed him. He's dead. There's no bringing him back. Surprise, surprise. There yep. is. But yeah, I think I think it's just the magical elements of the story. The dragons, the knights, the this this idea that now Brian like got this so so that was the only thing I was a little confused about at the end was like Brian had this vision and he chose the sword, but he couldn't choose the amulet because Betsy had the amulet, although maybe he could choose it and then he would be reinstated as Captain Britain. But then he's something else. He's some kind of knight, 
with the sword, but then he gives the sword away. And then Betsy gives him back the ambulance, but she's still Captain Britain. So I don't really... So it's that, that plays into what that choice. So that choice is a very specific thing of Excalibur lore and of Captain Britain's lore. The sword mm. of might and the amulet of right. Right, I think. Yes. And what that means that's guiding your heart. And when you choose the sword of might, that means you're trying to basically strike down your villain. Mm. Basically not going in a, in a righteous path. And you cannot be the protector of Britain, the protector of Otherworld, if that's the path that you've chosen. And so it might have been because of where his heart was at through the manipulations of your well, ladyship. Because he became Morgan the Winter Fay, Soldier. Right? Yeah. The, the, the Camelot Winter Soldier. The Winter Knight. The Winter Knight. Yeah. But yeah, so that that plays a lot more into something. And, and where he goes after this and where he goes into Ten of Swords is kind of interesting and, and what he becomes because he kind of needs a new mantle. And wait, sidebar, Richter is a druid? Supposedly. This so is this is, this is new information. Like, this is why I like it because there's, it and like the six issues wrapped up, but I feel like, and I'm going to be, you know, highly upset if it just sets up all these little things and doesn't go back to them but I don't feel like that's what's gonna happen I feel like it wrapped up this story of like Morgan, Morgan. and and what's going on with her and now but you know, the first thread for- was Apocalypse getting his control of other worlds however he did it through Jamie yep. and now we have all these other seeds in place so there's more stories that can happen yeah that's true that happens and that especially gets furthered by Ton of swords. Also, after issue four, I totally thought Gambit was going to be dead, but apparently he was not dead. Um, And Richter used those crystals to save him, and that was Apocalypse was not happy. Yeah, well, because he needed those. Those, He needed, but this is what I. Those are made from mutant bones. This is what I'm. This is what I'm saying. Okay, Apocalypse, you got to give people a little bit more information about the plan. You know, like if you're sending someone to get magical crystals, maybe let them know they only have one use. Yeah. Like they're not magic forever, yeah. so don't use them. He's almost the in between of Xavier and Magneto he in terms of a like little bit more, little bit more micromanagement. You know, like the whole thing with Rogue. It seemed like Rogue would have been on board if she knew what was up, but it really upset Gambit that nobody knew what was up. Yeah, and the fact that you manipulated them. Yeah, and just like how upset he was, and in my mind, I'm thinking. Well, you didn't tell us they only had one use. You just said they're magic crystals. And I didn't know I was using them. I thought I was just reaching for Gambit. And then they went off. So, like, my bad, bro. But, like, I didn't know. Yeah, I just thought as it progressed, it just continuously got more action-packed. And I think it's so interesting. So, first, Rogue was, like, having her little dream. And I was like, okay, who's this fire wolf? And then I was like, ooh, that's Rachel. I found out later, right? And then in her little dream, there's, like, this swirling energy around her stomach. And I'm like, is she, like, getting, like, a psycho baby? Like, not a psycho baby, but, like, a psychic baby Hmm. spawn, like, put in her belly. Like, what is this there? And then she's having this conversation later with Gambit about how now – you know, she was worried about how the idea that she couldn't have children would affect her on an island where one of the rules is to make babies. And now she can have children, but she doesn't want to have children. And for me, that's such an interesting point, right? It's another way that X-Men is speaking to communities that feel, you know, pressure or whatever from the outside world. Like one, just a woman's 
right to choose what happens to her own body. But to the idea that like what she said was, I was worried when people, when we came to Krakoa, like now that we're married, everyone's going to be, and now that I can, like everyone's going to be saying, when are you guys going to have a baby? And that's so real. Like that's such a real life thing that people struggle with of just this idea that people always ask or they always assume, you know, when are you going to have a baby? And they don't stop to think like maybe this person doesn't want to have children. Like maybe Mm -hmm. they don't want to or maybe they can't. Or, you know, like obviously with Rogue, it's a little bit different. But I just thought like I was really excited that that question came up in such a real way. In an honest, I'm having these feelings. And Gambit was like, yeah, well, if we had a baby, then we got to have sexy, sexy more often. And she's like, (laughs) oh, well, let's just do it anyway. And I was like, all right, you two in the hot tub getting down. But okay, that's Excalibur. Okay, X-Men. X-Men's number two. X-Men's number two. So, And you seem to go back and forth as to if you were going to put X-Men at number two. Yeah, because the beginning of X-Men I didn't really like. But you didn't dislike it as much as you didn't like the beginning of Excalibur. Right. But I think for me it's that X-Men went in like a handful of different directions. And I love that. You know, and and it's cool, but there were also things where I was like, what? What is that coming back? When is that happening? Like the summoner? Yeah, like the summoner. Or, Or horticulture. Or, you know, like I did like that it was like showing you how different lenses of how the establishment of Krakoa is is getting all these other balls rolling, right? Yeah. So Krakoa is is being was once many was once one thing was split into many pieces and is now being brought back together. Summoner story. Okay, cool. Interested in that. Interested in how that is going to play out. Horticulture and the some of the the conversations with like the, the outside organizations is really about the conversation surrounding Krakoan drugs and access to them and how they bigger in, financial like, picture like monopoly basically like Krakoa creating a monopoly on all drugs because if they have drugs that basically cure everything then how does anyone compete with them right right so that's really cool I like that the whole Scott on an adventure. With his two kids who he up until this point didn't even acknowledge as his children, didn't know they were his children. I don't oh, know. No, he knew. Okay. He's known for a while. Like I just suddenly was like, what are we doing? In, in like, like the 80s. vacation. That, that was honestly, I issue four is what turned me on X-Men. And I was like, oh, I love where X-Men's going. And I love mm. these things. Issue two was a little like, what's going on? This odd Summers family relationships. I feel like it's it's him not knowing how to be a dad. It's him not knowing mm. how to socially relate to a lot of people because he's an awkward human. He's an awkward mutant. He never really had a lot of strong father figures other than Xavier. And he just is now in a place where he has a family. He has a home. He's got the promise of a better life. And he wants to fight and protect that and really enjoy it. Mm. And I feel like that I'm into that. And I, I like that story for Scott. I feel like number two Introduced a whole lot of brand new stuff that was a little over my head. And I I know I, I went agree. back and liked it and tried to read it a couple times. You know, this other this piece of the other island. Well, I did. So I think for me, this is like what I was saying before was so Hoxpox is what I've read. And I spend so much time going through 
like history stuff with you where I was trying to connect everything to Hoxpox, but I still have all that Hoxpox stuff yep. floating in my head. So now that I'm actually reading Dawn of X, you know, I can connect things in a real way and not just say, this is connected because it actually is. And there is that conversation about Krakoa's, you know, when Doug and Charles are talking and Charles is introducing Doug to Krakoa and Charles is like, he's sad. And Doug's like, it's actually much more than that. Yep. And we get this story and it involves apocalypse and it involves him being broken up into pieces. And now like, cool, are we going to get to see all those pieces come back together? I'm into that. Ten of Swords. <laughs> X-Men number three, Emma. Yeah, this was Emma. your turn. This was my turning point. Well, I'm sorry. Look at the cover. Emma Frost is riding a dinosaur. Like, yeah, what else no, do you I'm, need I'm in your it. life? I'm into Nothing. it. Nothing. Horticulture was, as a villain was But there was so much shade in that yeah, issue. Yeah. No, I did. There was like nice shoes. There was Mean Girls moments. There was horticulture telling Emma to wash herself. Like, chef's kiss. Sebastian Shaw thinking he's hot stuff and the horticulture ladies being like i shut it down yeah shut it down and just this idea that they're you know they're also working on medicines and and using organic matter to do it that's interesting and they were so this is a brand this is their first appearance horticulture same as summoner's first appearance in issue two these are some pretty big ideas yeah, like to some introduce. pretty big setup so then we get to x-men number four X-Men number four is the best. Oh my God. First of all, can we just talk about how silly they all look in regular suits? This suit is the fittest. <laughs> like they look, but Charles still has his helmet because Cerebro, I understand. This issue is the first time that we see, except for that, that flashback onto Krakoa, is the first time we see his face. Oh, wait, because he takes his helmet off for literally like a second. He like takes his helmet off to, to say one thing and then he people. puts it right back on his head. I'll tell you a little bit and... Hickman has confirmed this. Xavier, before he dies in X-Force number one, is technically not Xavier's body. And this connects to a previous story that happened a couple of years ago where he was trapped in the astral plane. Cassandra Nova. And the, no, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I honestly think that Cassandra Nova is going to come up in some way. She already did. Yeah, I, I would agree. She already did. Okay, I'll get there when I talk about the later issues of X-Men. So he was inhabiting the body of Phantom X. Interesting. And so when he dies, he's actually resurrected in his actual body. So the reason why he kept the helmet on was that if he were to take it off and Everyone you see- Everyone would know like, that who's, it's not. Well, no, everybody, people knew, like people on the in the X-Men community knew, but it would freak people out and potentially not be like, who they're expecting. Mm, interesting. But X-Men number four, oh my God. It, and So many good things. Them in fancy pants suits. Apocalypse saying, like the guy's like, what should I call you? And he's like, my other names my are other not apocalypse. fit for you to utter. Like, come on. Yes. M- Magneto. His, his eating the steak She's, while destroying your good. world. Like, ah, oh, yes. And I love, there's so much about that issue, the art in that issue and the the di- like the dynamics of the storytelling with the words telling the story of what's going on at the dinner but the visuals telling you what's going on underneath under the ground and like i just with the strike teams yeah just like so good oh and gorgon yeah and gorgon and and cyclops like yeah. great okay here's another charles issue i have 
I wrote, ew, Charles. And then I also wrote some not nice words about him when he says, be good boys and take care of them for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Be good boys. Are they dogs? Are they your dogs? Do you have zero respect for them? They're your children. Be good boys and take care of them for me. I did not enjoy that. Not even a little bit, but Magneto. I, uh, honestly, like for an issue that was essentially a dinner conversation, was so there was good. so much to it. And there was so much to it that I wasn't expecting. And that gave you really, I, I just, the, the point where he, take me for example. In the past, I would have seized your country's weapons of war and turned them on you. I would have tried to show you how strong I was, how strong I am. But we have learned. You've shown us the way with your quiet weapons of finance and your silent wars of influence. Leverage people with debt. Make them pay to be healthy and whole. Make them pay to be educated. Make them pay you interest so they can have a place to live. Then, when you own them, you control them. I have seen what you do, and now we will do the same. (sighs) But better. But better. And Chomp just, on my steak. Oh, this picture, this panel of the entire it's group of them. It's just so good. It's just this like calm, silent rage. And Apocalypse has it too. Oh, yeah. And that's what I love about so much of about both of them. And also when they're going back and forth and they're talking about the Bronze Age and like all this stuff. And then <laughs> they're like, well, you don't know how the Bronze Age ended in Apocalypse. is like, it was me. Okay, I'm here now. I am Apocalypse. I am thousands of years old, like peasant people. And just the way that, that well, I think it's Magneto, that's like, they're not coming. Yes. Like, it's not happening. Do you recognize that guy? No. So that's Riley Marshall from House of X number one. He was the one that was basically <gasps> fighting the oh. ability to find out who his other allegiance was who I'm pretty sure is Orcus. Orcus, yeah. Yeah. It was just it was just so good. It was such a <laughs> a power move. I yeah. was going to say it had it was big dick energy. All of it. Power, pose, energy. I just loved it. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. And then we get to X-Men number 5. Hello, hello, exact image exact image from the Cassandra Nova story exact mm-hmm. image of that master mold thing Ecuador Ecuador as soon as they said Ecuador I was like <gasps> Cassandra Nova and then they come through the woods and boom the jungle whatever there it is Cassandra Nova that's the, it's the exact thing how can you tell me she's not coming back how can you tell me you can't tell me she's coming back I mean she doesn't really have any connection to the children of the vault which I feel like is interesting that they have moved their vault into this area and isn't that girl that comes out of the Serafina. vault? She's in one X-Men of the... number one. What was that? Like, she is released by... Is that like year 1000 or something? Uh, or is that no. this year? That's this story. She is in X-Men issue number one. She gets released from that Orcus facility. Yes. Okay, that's where it was that it came from. I was like, ooh. I Like, five, four, five, and six Yeah. of X-Men. Amazing. I was like, ooh. Serafina, okay, we're aligning things from other timelines. This is coming. I wrote this art is killer. R.B. Silva. And I from... knew as soon, as soon as they said it, I was like, oh my God, Cassandra Nova, Master Mold Facility. Yeah, I, I, so I agree that there's got to be something with Cassandra Nova. I'm curious as to how she ties in. 
but I think that she's definitely got it's to be somewhere. Such an iconic image from, and I don't know if the Children of the Vault have been shown before. This. Not in this era, but they are. Yes, but like, are they generally in that particular vault? No. So that is like, especially because we literally just read that comic, and I just saw that image. Yeah. I was like, and the way that that sentinel is drawn there's like one image of it where it's almost like silhouetted and it looks like cassandra nova hmm. like it has a big head and it looks like her i'm gonna find it i literally f- was freaking out when i saw the first image i was like oh maybe i made that up in my head yeah i must have made it up what do you think about this team this team of three going into the vault Interesting. I like their choices. I like the the reasoning behind their choices and their ability to kind of like we'll serve fix as a, themselves. Will serve as a redundancy. Sounds like kind of an insult. <laughs> yeah, sounds like kind of an insult. But I think the vault thing is really interesting. I'm not so sure why Cyclops is so hard on himself about what's going on like that. I feel like I must have I missed something. Well, just because what he's putting them through. But it's not him. It's Xavier well, and the whole team. Like the whole. It's not. Yeah. But it's not also, like Cyclops said, this is what we need to do. Right. But he does take some of that responsibility because he was involved with those choices. Well, so, that's a moment where I feel bad for him because I feel like he's making it seem like he's taking all that weight on his shoulders and it's not his fault. And yeah, right. Well, it is, you know, he, he approves it in the sense that he's like, this is something that we have to do as in a time of war almost because they're recognizing that the children of the vault are probably the most dangerous element of what could be to them. They are one of the biggest threats to mutant kind. Mm. And then we get to issue six in Nimrod. Uh, I will tell you, we don't get a follow-up on the vault story. For like 500 years or something. Until issue 18 and 19 of the current X-Men run. I mean, that we don't get a follow-up. issues from now. Yeah, we don't get a follow-up until issues 18 and 19 where we actually find out what goes on in the vault. I mean, that doesn't surprise me because it says it'll be 537 years. Right. So what can you do? Okay. Issue six. Issue six. Okay, we're building the ring in space. It's the forge, I know, but it still looks like the ring from the 100 to me. So it's crazy. So they're rebuilding after what happened. Yep. I loved finding out all this stuff about Mystique and Destiny. Like This was like a layer reveal. This Oh my God. So like, I was just like getting really excited. I was like, ooh, we're building the ring. Gregor, Omega, but she's not pink yet. And Nimrod is being built. And then this whole secret plan. This of whole Mystique story that was happening. flower yeah. that was happening that we didn't know was happening. And then like the, that destiny, like basically told Mystique, this whole thing is going to happen. They're going to play you and to burn the whole thing down. Now I'm just like, what is going to happen at the Hellfire Gala? Like, what is going to happen? So I'll tell you, and I feel like there are a couple of things that I should let you read ahead of the gala because they follow up on these two points specifically. Mm-hmm. Issues 18, 19, and 20. Issue 20 follows up on issue 6. Mm-mm-mm. And the fact that it takes that long, it blows my mind Knowing that Nimrod and Nimrod coming online are like the biggest threats to mutant kind. I just. And remember? Ooh, remember when we were reading Hoxpox and it was the end and Gregor had like something and it was pink and I said, she's going to build Nimrod. Yep. I called it. Yeah. 
I called it and I'm so pumped about it. And so that is essentially almost a way of resurrecting her husband. Yeah, like in Nimrod, like Nimrod is her husband. Like his consciousness is I don't part. want to t- I don't want to tell I, you too much right now, but I feel like you could you so could excited. you could read issues 18, 19 and 20 and you'd really enjoy them because they're really great and you wouldn't really get spoiled of a whole lot of Not other too, stories. Not too lost. I don't know, I was just like reading that and I was just like they're oh, direct snap. they're oh, direct snap. follow-ups and the fact that two members of that vault team are now on the new x-men team i feel like it is kind of a necessary right. it's like read you know that they're coming out of the vault right just like you know just that i know that kate is not dead right so all right well that so i guess okay i guess x-men definitely is number two now that we're talking about it i i like it more than excalibur i do too i just ugh. So like I feel like basically those six issues, every single one was like a little bomb drop, a little like boop, something's about to happen. And boop, that's and why they, they I, increased in intensity. I, that's why I loved this as a, a method. So you know what happens in issue seven. You might not know it right now as we're talking about it, but we had a conversation about issue seven long before we started the podcast. Issue seven is the crucible. The fight to the death to bring back a mutant who has lost their power through M-Day. Oh. So there are concepts, big ideas in each of, and they're all singular, except for there's a, there's a, there's two points where it's a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Eight and nine, and then 18 and 19. A couple of the issues in the, the teens and early teens tie into a larger Marvel Universe crossover, and then the couple ones that follow after that tie into Ten of Swords. But there's these pieces that continue to do exactly what you're talking about of just seeding and building that bigger world. I feel like X-Men, and it's also, it's written by Hickman. Mm. So it continues to follow on the promise of House of X and Powers of Ten. It takes a little while, but there are a couple of issues that I feel like you would really enjoy that you should probably check out. Okay. Let's talk about Marauders. Yes. Marauders, my favorite. Okay. Marauders was my favorite as well. We don't even need to really talk. Like the story of Marauders, it's vi- like the overarching story. Okay. High concept, you know, they're, like big and, and specific to what it's trying to be, right? right. We're they're, the, they're we're the gathering, drug dealers of Krakoa. We're, we're drug dealers, but we're also doing like some some human trafficking kind yeah. of on the humanitarian side, right? efforts. We're, but we're 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 saving the people, we're saving the mutants, we're bringing them to Krakoa. I think it is so dope that there is a Krakoan gate on the ship. Yep. Okay. That's fantastic. Shaw, we already talked earlier about how he gets me riled up. So I'm going to try. It's going to be very difficult for me, but I'm going to try to stay calm during this conversation and not let him get to me. He's just, he's so good at being bad. Yeah, he is. The buildup of. He is the villain of this. Yes. The buildup of Kate deciding to be the Red Queen, then tattooing herself and. Stealing a jacket and turning into the Red Queen. Love it. The just like deny, deny, deny of Bishop and the. Oh, yeah. The refusal confirm, to be. Confirm, confirm from Kate of you are the Red Bishop. You are the Red Bishop. Okay. You're my Red Bishop. Whatever. When you're the Red Bishop, let's get you some red clothes. Like, first of all, also, Bishop, don't say to me that you don't look good in red because your scarf is red, dude. You should see he's got like a full red outfit now. Can't wait. Oh, on a side note, going back to Excalibur for just a hot second. Yep. That outfit that Rogue comes out in. Oh, yeah. Love like, it. why does that go away? Yeah. What? I what? don't think it does for a little while. Okay. Oh, my God. I it's, s- it's similar to some of her. her it it so plays a lot thoughts. of her, her the 90s other thing, outfit. While we're talking about outfits, 
just for a hot second. Okay, Iceman. Yep. If you're going to talk about being a guest judge on Drag Race, then your Hellfire Gala look should have been better. <laughs> like, disgrace to the drag n- race name right there. Sashay away, okay? I can't with you right now. You don't know what that means. That's okay. I do. I watch drag, drag race. I do not. Sometimes. Okay. So anyway, that builds up this whole idea that Shaw, like secretly killed his son but doesn't want his son to know and had all these red clothes and then was like yeah we'll keep those red clothes like yeah plotting what that woman and her husband going missing oh yeah but he didn't actually go missing the order of x he was he he was trapped in her house and he like worships them when they come through the thing and he's like my god you saved me kitty pride and bishop like and they're like excuse me he knows them by name excuse me that whole thing and also i'm calling that other group the hellfire babies they are like they essentially are like muppet babies but (laughs) hellfire like they're small children right yes yes. no they are definitely children children. they're children that come from high society and big money and they are essentially the hellfire club at a different point in time there's just so many like little layers of things being thrown in but also every time i read a story i feel like not i don't mean this to sound like a negative like it's just a simple story i don't feel overwhelmed by like everything that's happening just the way that kate fights where is she get beat yeah i love that pyro is pyro is a strong favorite of mine i don't know why i didn't say him earlier when you were asking me who my favorite characters are. I hate his face tattoo, but I do love Yeah, Pyro. I just, I do hate his face tattoo, but I love his sass. I love, like, just, I love drunk Pyro. I just, I love him. He's great. The way that Kate fights, every time I watch a fight with her, it's just, mm, ooh. It also, like, that moment, to go back just for a second to New Mutants, when that guy takes everybody's powers away and Boom oh. Boom's like, yo, I'm trained, okay? Like, yeah. I've I been will on, take you down. I've been on strike team since I was 12. Yeah. This two-page spread where they take Storm's power away. Yeah. And oh, she's and like, she just, you think I am powerless? This is such a... And this is why I love Marauders as a title because I feel like it really plays into the history of these characters mm. and their relationships. And it continues to do that as Callisto comes in later on. She's on the cover of issue seven. Like, there's just so many good things. Emma lives on Diamond Pride Rock. Kate has the Red Keep, so she's like basically living in Game of Thrones. Like... And basically, Marauders is Game of Thrones. Kind of, yeah. Kings and queens and power struggles. This guy's trying to kill you so he can make his son the Red King. It's Game of it's Game of Thrones. It's Game of Thrones, but but it's also its own thing. Like, I don't know. The story is just so good, and I will say, okay, I'm talking really fast because I love it so much. So I just need to take a breath and just look at my notes. Okay. (laughs) You didn't look at your notes at all. I feel like you know the story that much better. Yeah. Just. But I feel like, so to the point of how we read them, I just love reading a story like this that continuously builds. Mm. You know, and I agree with your point earlier about how it kind of paces it out. I probably wouldn't have kept with Fallen Angels and Excalibur if I didn't have it spaced out like that and then playing off of each other. But when I want to reread a story, I love rereading it as a continuous story. Mm, Yes. Also, I had asked when you and I were talking about 
book three in our Patreon episode, I had asked about Island M. And you were saying maybe it's Madripoor, but it's mm-hmm. not. No. Island M mm-hmm. is Ma- one of Magneto's bases. Oh. I spaced on it the last time when we were recording, and I remembered it, and I was like, oh, yeah. So, And it's actually in the Powers of Ten issue when Xavier and Moira go to Magneto to recruit him to their cause. Oh, right. That's where they they're at. go to his island. With all the weird, like armaments on the island looks like this giant castle yes yes now that makes sense but it also you know i thought initially i was like is that madripoor or is it the the island that's going to be the location of the hellfire gala but Mm. that just didn't make sense timeline wise (laughs) like that stops anything from happening (laughs) i mean it's okay you got it now there's a lot of x knowledge to remember so Island M, similar Island to Asteroid M. M. I will now remind you yeah, Magneto. Right. Island Magneto. Basically, it's his island that he names after himself. As he should. As he should. That's what you do when you have a secret lair. Calling me a lair. Calling me a lair. So just like all of this stuff with Shaw and him telling his son that Emma begged to be the white queen and that Emma and Kate killed him and all of these things like all of them are spiraling and just making me hate him so much and I hate him so much and then he's in cahoots with these bad guys and you know like these these evil babies and this crazy lady and then when because I know we're not going super in depth into each individual issue but when they're when Kate and Bishop are in that woman's house and they're looking for clues to like find out where her husband is yep. and she finds the, the ivory and she just goes, oops, I dropped <laughs> it wall. in the wall. Yeah. Love it. That And that's another part that I I love the cast. I love the humor. The story feels really, it. it I don't know that it loses itself a little bit, but it loses kind of the core concept in my mind of pirates and drug dealing and saving people uh there are a couple issues later on that i I don't know if i see it all there but overall i feel like it's consistently been my favorite Mm. of the original six christian and iceman yep that's cute aren't they like a thing new to this comic but i would believe i'm getting some like vibes oh yeah yeah for sure sexually interested in each other yeah for sure christian frost yes emma's brother Yes. Oh, when when Shaw is saying like certain things are women's work, everything he does makes me want to punch him in his little face. Okay. That Whoa. ending. That ending. Oh, it's First so of all, good. in it's the so in good. the beginning of that issue, no, it was issue five that I was like, okay, this is suspect. Like first, Shaw is talking to Christian, and he mentions maybe. Iceman and Storm are always with Emma because she can't get through the gates. So maybe they're afraid that since that part of Krakoa doesn't work for her, that resurrection protocols won't work for her. So when he first said that, I was like, interesting. Then a couple pages later, her and Emma have the same exact conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why is this being brought up so prominently? Yep. And then issue six action-packed so much stuff that tiny little ship that goes inside pyro that apparently was meant to go inside kate but she phased it through her and then it goes into pyro like did you see who was in it random yellow jacket yeah from ant-man 
Okay, that's which is another thing. Like Batrock the Leaper was in yeah. this too. I feel like Jerry writes a lot of other stuff in terms of the larger Marvel universe, the Savage Avengers, uh, you know, and has been a writer for a while. I mentioned this the other day. There was an interview with him talking about the gala. He has been in the conversation because he's been so involved with Marvel and with X-Men. He's been a part of the conversation of Hickman's run since very early on, since long Mm -hmm. before House of X and Powers of Ten. So he actually got the idea for the gala a while ago. So it's always been kind of building to this and then now has kind of exploded into... Oh, I also love that the gala is kind of teased in one of the data pages yep. when like Emma's searching for event. fabrics. Yep. Like I loved that. So it's but, been a long-term plan of his. But so, so first of all, I like that there's this little ship inside, right? That's how they're going to get their inside information. Yep. Second of all, I love that the, what Pyro does is go make a drink and sit and watch Rick and Morty. Yeah. And that's like, okay, this is the intel I'm getting is Rick and Morty. That was hysterical to me. But then, okay, Kate's like, I'll be fine by myself. And then out of nowhere, Sebastian Shaw comes. Why can't she phase through the thing? Because it's Krakoan? So that's why she can't phase through it? They're power dampening. They, they have an ability to sap your power away. And then she's just sinking and he's just talking nonsense and I'm literally fuming while I'm looking at the pages and I just wrote down everything from that point on. Like I wrote, haha, Pyro making a Long Island iced tea and watching Rick and Morty. That's my favorite. And then everything else is in all capitals. Shaw, what the beep? Excuse me? He just killed Lockheed? Like, what? What? You just put that dragon in a net and you dumped him in the ocean? I am infuriated. Infuriated. Look at him. Just smug little butthole. But not today. But not today. And then, and then, and then, what? And then she just sinks. And then she just sinks. And then... She just sinks. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, so obviously, you know, because you've seen the previews, you've seen the art, you've seen her at the Hellfire Gala. You know, she comes back. Yes. Right. Um, you also know that Shaw is in a wheelchair. Oh, God. Yes. They are connected. Sweet, sweet vengeance. Break his legs. Yeah. So they, they do find out. What I just happened. like, because, because I can't wait to see how it unfolds. But for me. Obviously, I know now because I know she still exists, but with the threat, like with every other person, like when Wolverine, when Xavier died, I was like, whatever. When Wolverine got chopped in half, I was like, oh, if he's going to be dead, if this is what kills Wolverine, whatever, he'll come back to life. Everybody, I was just, I, I take their deaths so lightly, but with Kate, it was not only the fact that she died and I was unsure of how resurrection protocols work for her. But just the way it happened, yeah, and the person who did it, oh, and, and and just what she did, what he did to Lockheed. Yes, I was like literally almost crying sitting here. That's why I sat and stared into space in a rage for like three <laughs> whole minutes, and I just I think I got like one page into the next book by the time you came home, and I was just you were so angry. I was so angry. I can't. I'm like getting heated thinking about it again. But okay, we did it. Dawn of X, volumes one through six. Clearly, when I read the comics, I have a lot of feelings. And that's good. So it sounds like we're we're at a point. We're at the you know almost the this is the start of season three. Start of season three. You are in. This is it. the start. 
of something new. Stop High school that. musical. <laughs> Sorry. You are you are in X Men. You are into the world. It's a dangerous place. It is. So you, you've got a handful of other issues that you could read before Hellfire Gala happens. Yeah, yeah. Overarching thoughts. Anything else that you want to say before you leave? I mean, I I'm pretty much I pretty much you, let you, all my feelings. Yeah, come out. and and you led that conversation, and I feel like that was good because I I wanted that. That was what I wanted from kind of you reading and getting mm. that idea and just bouncing off ideas. But this, I've said it a handful of times, this brought me back into comics. This is great. And, I'm all about this. And it expands from here, right? So there's six titles here. One doesn't continue, but it gets bigger in the sense mm. that there are, there's the Wolverine story, the mini series of the X-Men and Fantastic Four, the giant size X-Men series, uh, Cable as a solo X Factor, which sadly is ending. Hellions. Yeah, there's so much. Sword. There's so much. It's going to be great. I can't wait to read it. I have my individual notes, so maybe we'll do another Patreon deeper dive into each volume so I could talk a little bit more about specific scenes or actions, or maybe we won't. There's no promises on Patreon. You get content, but there's no promises of what that content will be. (laughs) I will say there is going to be our next thing on Patreon is a mini episode where Justin gives me more information on who Cassandra Nova is. Yeah, I couldn't just leave her on that. So where we left it from our conversation on these episodes. And then before we went into book club, I got a little mini history lesson on, because of when we left it, it was just a, I don't know who she is. I don't know who yeah, she is. They don't, and then I left you on I, a cliffhanger. And you, as I was editing that episode, I was like, ah, maybe I should have told her. Maybe I should have told her. So he did tell me. And, and my, I almost, I almost thought about merging that into that episode, but, then but I was no, like, no, we make it a Patreon exclusive. But I mean, that's that, that was a lot of talking. Thanks for sticking with us. Thank you so much for supporting us continuously. Episode 50. Y'all are amazing. Season three. It's definitely giant sized. It's definitely giant sized. So, until next time, old friend. Charles, I'm worried about you, you manipulative little man. Go away. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan.